Welcome to the Classicist Podcast from the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Troy Sinek, and the Classicist is Victor Davis Hanson, the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow at the Hoover Institution. And Victor, you and I are recording this uh, shortly before the final presidential debate. It's going to take place in just a few hours from when we're talking. Uh, at Belmont University, a fact I mentioned because I'm a Belmont alum, and I only get to invoke that here or when they get a 15 seed in March Madness. Uh, but this this will allow our listeners to do something of a real time comparison between your prescriptions and what actually takes place, because you've got a column up at National Review about how the president should handle this debate. So uh, why don't we start with a a point from the article, this rule change that's been imposed since the first debate, which is that the candidates now in this debate will actually be muted while their opponent is talking. This is only during their initial responses to questions, not the subsequent open discussion. But you write in your piece that this could actually work to the president's advantage. So walk us through that. Yeah, I think it does for a variety of reasons. And one is that it will curb Trump's first debate inclinations to interrupt, which the polls, if you listen to that first debate, a lot of people thought he won when they saw him and and heard him and saw him at the same time interrupting. They thought he'd lost. So that'll stop that and it'll be for his own good. But more importantly, Joe Biden at about a minute and a half starts to drift or wander. And he's usually, if you watch, I've been watching some of the interviews on YouTube, he does. They try to interrupt him and help him. They try to say, you, you didn't mean, you mean pay protection or you, and he can't finish a sentence. And so it, I'm not saying he's going to do it at the first two minute speech, but I have a feeling that after about three of those, and I don't know how many, is there nine segments or something? Seven, seven. He's going to he's going to be floundering. So it, it, that that's good, and then they can go at it in the free for all. But it, it favors it favors Trump, and he can rail. It's unfair, and that's good too that he does because it, everybody that narrative has now been established that the, the debate commission is um, not symmetrical. But I don't think they did it to help Trump, and I think that Trump was right to object. But when you think of about it dispassionately, I think it helps Trump. You've been pretty consistent throughout this campaign and throughout our conversations in saying that it's a mistake for the president to spend quite so much time emphasizing his grievances, that he really needs to focus on substance, that he should zero in on the the issues that matter to voters, talk about his record, talk about what the focus of a second term would be. So with that in mind, let's assume he goes with that tonight. What are the constituent parts of that? What what are the issues you think that the president should be emphasizing? Well, there's two issues there, Troy, as you know. We've talked about that before, too. There's the issues that he should be emphasizing, and it's the issues that he will be allowed to emphasize. Because this should have been about foreign policy in, in the tradition that the first is on domestic issues. Then you have a second town hall, and the third is on foreign policy. But they decided because of the cancellation of the second to cancel the foreign policy component. And that was to Trump's disadvantage, because he could have just have said, Biden, what exactly would you do differently? You know, put the capital, the embassy back to Tel Aviv, you know, turn over the Golden Heights to Syria, um, lift the tariffs with China. What is it? And I don't think Biden could have answered that question. So what would the topics likely be that he's going to be confined? And I think we know what they're going to be. It's going to be climate change, climate change, climate change. It's been at the vice president debate. It's been at the first debate. It's going to be race. And it's going to, I don't know, 
I can't determine whether she's going to be stupid enough to say, have you ever been a white supremacist? <laughs> Can you deny that you're a white supremacist? But on the other hand, she might think I'm going to overdo it to cement my uh, progressive credentials. She'd be a heroine if she did. So it'll be on race of some sort. And then, of course, it's going to be you killed 225,000 people on COVID. And then finally, it'll be on the lockdown. And what Trump has to do is uh, have snappy, uh, factual, analytical answers, something like the following, if she brings up COVID, look, Joe, we're doing better than most major European countries. We're analogous to what the UK is doing or France is doing. We're doing better than Belgium and Spain and Italy. Are you saying that these co- these countries are incompetent? Are you saying also that you trust these statistics? As you've, you keep quoting India and China on the campaign trail, and you really believe that a Russia, Vladimir Putin's honest, or Xi is honest, so why do you quote, quote them? And, you know, if you want to talk about mistakes, you might want to ask blue state governors in four states, New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Massachusetts, why 11% of the population resulted tragically in 30% and more of the deaths. So there are answers to give on COVID, especially with the rapid trajectory of these wondrous therapeutics that got Trump on his feet, as well as the vaccination, probably in maybe even in mid-December. So there's answers there. Uh, on climate change, he did pretty well last time when he tried to revert back to the fires. They, they took the fires and tried to revert to climate change, and he said no. Fires were for because of poor forest management. But uh, I think I, I would just try to preempt that. I said, you know what? The Trump family does not invest in fossil fuels. The Biden family invests in fossil fuels. That's what Burisma is about. You believe in oil and gas, and you want to make a lot of money on using your position, and that's what you do. I didn't do it. So you better look in the mirror and address your fossil fuel fondness. And then uh, for things like uh, if he gets on the economy, he'll talk about what the economy was like, what it's going to be like in the fourth quarter, and he'll get hit uh, Biden and taxes. Those are all legitimate things to do. And uh, he's got to do this, as we've talked about, with a smile. That's po- he, he smiles very well. And he's, he can't, when Biden's speaking, he can't go with the full Kamala Harris anymore and roll his eyes, scowl, frown. Uh, but he's got to be the happy warrior, and he can do that. I'm not saying that he should do things he can't do. When he makes fun of himself, he's, he's hilarious. When, it, when they were tragically talking about the death of his brother, and they said, did you drink? He said, can you imagine what I'd be like if I drank? And he, he can do things like that, and he can appeal in a bipartisan, as I said in the art fashion, that no country works when the president's in the basement or you do fund the police, whether you're left or right. I want to pick up on that note you sent a few moments ago about how the moderator could frame the question, for example, on race, because it gets to this bigger issue that there is a general dyspepsia amongst conservatives, especially of late, but this has gone on for a while, about the role that the moderators play in these debates. And the critics might try to deflect that by saying, well, you know, this is all a function of Trump, but this is a longstanding complaint. It goes back to some of the primary debates in the past. Um, or the incident which you wrote about not too long ago where Candy Crowley mm-hmm. intervened as a fact checker uh, in one of the 
2012 debates between Mitt Romney yes. and Barack Obama. So anticipating this, I mean, how ought the president to prepare for the potential of the moderator becoming a more active participant in the debate? Well, in two, he, first, in three ways. The first is that he can't get upset and be surprised. When he gets out on that stage, he's got to say, I am debating two people. And, he can, and then second, he's got to have responses. He had a very good one with Savannah Guthrie. He said, am I de- debating you too? And he, he could say things like, hey, this isn't fair, two against one, but not in a defensive way, but in a funny way. Or he could say, I hope that question will be directed. He can do that maybe one or two times, and it'll be effective. He does it three or four. It looks like he's whining. And then um, he's going to have to say, we've discussed climate change, we've discussed race, we've discussed the virus, and now it's time to discuss what Joe Biden uh, said about uh, his involvement with foreign governments and what we know from this. And he can this Hunter Biden trove and just turn to Hunter Biden, I mean, to Joe Biden and say, you've told the American people you never discussed anything with your son, and you've told the American people you never met with agents of a foreign operative or lobbyists from foreign nations. Now, which is it? Were these emails fraudulent? Were they made up? Or do you want to retract your previous denials? It's up to you, Joe. You pick one or the other. And then I would leave it at that. I wouldn't get into all these different things. I think that'd be very effective because he's going to have to bring that out because I don't think the moderator will do that. The moderators don't, they have a different audience than us, us being American. Their audience are fellow people in Washington and New York. And when they do badly with us, they do well with that audience. So Savannah Guthrie was an awful moderator. Susan Page was to, uh, Chris Wallace was pathetic, but in that cloister that, you know, it's, wow, Chris really went after Trump. Wow. Savannah took it to him. And that results in, you know, raises, promotions, job offers, prestige, a cocktail. That's what they're interested in. They're not interested in the American people learning anything or what they would have talked about Joe Biden and Hunter. This has been such an unusual election. I mean, a lot of this driven by COVID, but one of the casualties of that is that it seems like the universe of policy debates that we're having is even smaller than normal. Not that any presidential election is really a a great uh, summit on on public policy when you get right down to it. But this year, a lot of these things have been swept off to the side. As you mentioned, we've basically lost out on a foreign policy debate because of the rescheduling. I think it's supposed to be one 15-minute segment tonight instead of the entire 90 minutes. So are there issues, foreign policy or otherwise, that haven't been given enough attention so far in this election that you'd like to see these candidates pressed on? Yeah, there's two, and one is immigration. And Trump could just say, you know, you can criticize me all you want, but illegal crossings on the border are down 90%. And you made fun of my wall, Joe, but we've got about 370 miles finished. It's going to be 400 um, by the end of the year. And by the time the the inauguration, it's going to be about 420. I think it's two or three miles a week. And it's not the old wall. It's a great wall. So I have stopped that problem. And I want to ask you, do you want to reopen the border or do you want to tear down the wall? Which is it? Are you going to get angry that I built it? So angry, you're going to tear it down? Are you going to leave it there? Are you going to add to it? 
I think that'd be an effective thing to do. And then on foreign policy, I would try to have it the same way and say, so Joe, you want to go back into the Iran deal? Do you? Yes or no? Do you, you want to give more money to Hezbollah? Do you want to give the Syrian uh, claims back to the Golan Heights, move the embassy back to Tel Aviv? Do you want to tell the United Arab Emirates if you were to take office, you know what, that's a bad idea of uh, recognizing Israel. And hey, you NATO partners, I don't really think you need to pay 2%. I don't want to bully you anymore. Just pay that 1.3. We're fine with that. And China, sorry for the tariffs. We, We were mistaken. You're not a hegemon. You're not cheating commercially. Is that what you want to do? Because that's how you sound. And I think put him on the spot. Because Biden's been given a pass, he just said he's he's unpopular. He, he's brought down American prestige. And then when you you go Iran check, Russia check, NATO check, China check, Middle East check, there's no details. He doesn't offer any critique or antithesis or alternate policy. But then he doesn't in general, it's part of a larger problem that he's not a candidate as we've ever seen before. I don't think that since he's been nominated, he, he's been out over 100 hours. He just is in his basement. And whenever there's a debate or he has to go out and speak, he seems to go quit at nine o'clock so he can get on his circadian rhythm and sleep all day and then come out at night nocturnally. He's a vampire candidate. He has about three hours of nocturnal activity and then he's he disappears, and it's it's amazing, and it's been very effective. Partly, Donald Trump has played into it, but we'll see if it continues to work. Because the, every ten days, a campaign changes, and the, and the people who don't adapt to that change lose. My final question for you: Let's bracket President Trump for a moment, because regardless of the outcome of the election, it's likely that tonight is his last ever presidential debate. So, looking towards the future. There seems to be a growing sense that the debates aren't really working the way that we want them to, partially because the way some of the recent ones have gone down. But there's probably also some degree of debate fatigue because we now have a bunch of them in the primaries, often multiple nights because the presidential fields have gotten so large. So have these events outlived their usefulness? Do we need to scrap them or overhaul them? What's your diagnosis of the utility of these debates as a civic tool? Well, I I think you were really good to distinguish. First of all, the primary debates are a joke because you get 16 candidates up there. (laughs) It's a circus. Nobody gets enough time. And the person who says the silliest thing gets the most attention. So they're going to have to break those into horse racing or NBA tournament style. You know, one person goes to one debate one-on-one and they advance to the finals or something. (laughs) Maybe they can adjudicate it with on applause meter. But when you get to these debates, it, it's so clear now that I think I said on TV there a night, are we so short of manhood and womanhood in, in America? We can't find people, apparently, who are not writing a biography of Nancy Pelosi, maybe Mitch McConnell. Are, are we so short that we can't find people that used to work for Donald Trump or for Joe Biden? Are we so short of people? We can't find people that don't tweet out to the arch enemy of one of the debaters. Are we so short that we can't find people that go to the White House for one of the candidates and their big contributors? Are we so short that we can't find somebody whose husband didn't wasn't chief of staff or a major political party's candidate? And so, I guess what I'm getting at is if if we had the opposite, 
that Sean Hannity did what to Joe Biden, what Chris Wallace did to Trump, or that in the vice presidential debate, um, we had somebody from Fox News who was writing a biography of Mitch McConnell and then said, isn't it true? Or do you want to re- do you want to talk about that? You ain't black stuff. And how about the you, you put you all in chains and predator, Joe, or during the Samantha Guthrie, we had somebody whose uh, husband was chief of staff for George W. Bush and see how they'd like that, and they wouldn't like it. So it's never going to be symmetrical because of the calcul- the atmosphere in Washington of that, that media class. I would rather just have them each read a statement, or not read a statement, but 10 minutes of statement, like the Oxford debate rules. I, I've done that a lot in public debates. I don't think the moderator ever took place. It was, you give a five-minute talk, you give a five-minute talk. And then if they want to cut the mic, fine, if the other person's interrupting. And then just say, you give a two-minute rebuttal, you give a two-minute rebuttal, then you give a two-minute rebuttal to the rebuttal, and you give two-minute. And have it formalized. And then maybe two minutes of crosstalk. But you could, I, don't, I, don't see there's, I don't think there's anything wrong. In fact, when I've done debates, I've had a couple where the only, there was only one mic. So I came up and I said, this is the premise. And then the other person came to the poem, this is the premise. And then I came up and said, this is why you're wrong. And this person came up and said, this is why you're wrong. And I said, this is why your objection is wrong. And then that, it worked. It was very easy. And the, the, the moderator was quiet. You've been listening to the Classicist Podcast with Victor Davis Hansen. Remember, you can read all of Victor's work at victorhansen.com, and he's on Twitter at Hansen. And if you enjoy the show, please rate it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. For Victor Davis Hansen, I'm Troy Sinek. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society. For more information about our work and to hear more of our podcasts or see our video content, please visit hoover.org.